0: Welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. Catherine Burney is the director of the National Women's Safety Alliance. She is passionate about social, economic, and safety equity for women and children. She has a strong non-for-profit background, including working internationally with the Red Cross in the South Pacific and on the DV Alert program as part of the National Safety Plan. She has experience in strategic planning within the higher education and government consulting sectors. With a genuine passion to change the statistics for women in Australia, she understands the power of the women's alliances and the collaborative strength of the sector. Catherine is currently working towards her PhD in sociology under Dr. Michael J. Walsh at the University of Canberra. Hannah Robertson is a PhD candidate in gendered violence with the criminology program at Australia National University. She was a research assistant for a project focusing on restorative justice for survivors of sexual assault. And her honors thesis was on dating app facilitated sexual assault. I'm really excited because it was somebody else's recommendation to talk about this topic or to have people like you who do academic writing as mm-hmm. something we talk about. I think so often unless you come from academia, (laughs) in which case you do focus on the writing. A lot of people, when they think about writing, they don't necessarily count, and I'm using air quotes there, they don't count all of the other writing they do. They think about primarily novels and maybe secondarily nonfiction books. Mm. But the truth is, in academia, and I'll have each of you sort of expand on what you're doing and why you were invited here, but You are writing book-length work, so it does count. It definitely Mm. counts. Uh, Do either one of you want to start and just maybe tell me what got you to deciding to go this particular path and how uh, somebody might be able to see what attracted you to this type of writing?
1: I can kick off if you want, Hannah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. (laughs) Okay.
1: So, my background is in marketing. I worked for the Coca-Cola company and I kind of had a bit of a road to Damascus experience and I decided I wanted my life to be about more what I was currently doing. Mm. So I quit my job and I uh, moved to Vanuatu where I worked with the Vanuatu Red Cross. I also got into gender development work and came back and worked in the not-for-profit space. And through a lot of twists and turns, I've worked in gender-based violence education programs. And so my topic that I'm looking at is men's rights activism in Australia. Really, I've kind of ended up here because I did a lot of work in the domestic and family violence space. Currently in my day job, uh, (laughs) I'm the director of the National Women's Safety Alliance. And through my marketing skills though and campaigns, I interacted a lot with what is termed as men's rights activism. And I really developed this need to understand the motivations, to understand the ontological security without wanting to change people. I just want to understand. And so that's what's led me to here. And it's a very different kind of writing than what I'm used to, to wow. be honest. Well, so, certainly
0: uh, going from marketing, Yeah. a lot of us who've been in the working world in any capacity, I have to say, even when I first started, anything above retail or hospitality, which I did Mm -hmm. start off with, Mm -hmm. had an aspect of copywriting, Yep. right? So and certainly in marketing, you just have to be quick like that. But academic writing, Mm -hmm. vastly different. I I work more with people deconstructing what they learned (laughs) about the writing process from academic Mm -hmm. writing than I do with the path you've taken, which is really, really interesting.
1: So I'm learning the academic way to do it. You know, I come from, uh, as as you would know, you know, I come from, if you can say it in eight words, don't say it in a hundred. <laughs> say it as fast as you can, as succinctly as you can with the meaning. One of the things that I'm thinking about when I'm in, when, as I'm on this academic journey in my PhD, is that there's a lot of high-level concepts that are incredibly important. I mean, you'll hear about Hannah's work soon. It's so relevant. It's so current and in pop culture. But I think academia also can mask the importance of the research. And Mm -hmm. one of the challenges, how do we take these really high-level concepts, how do we take a concept like ontological security and make it accessible for other people to be involved in the discourse? And I think that, for me, as an an academic is something I'm really focused on also.
0: So how do you frame it? And then Hannah, I cannot wait to hear what you're jumping into, but it's really interesting because part of when I'm helping deconstruct, it's trying to find that space between, right? We don't want eight words, although William Zinser would say, yes, a hundred down to 50 down to 25 down to, you know, just yeah. keep narrowing it. We don't want eight words because that's too, even Twitter, which I'm no longer on, expanded the number of characters you could Mm. use. And I think that a lot gets lost if you are siphoning off things that are actually important nuances. On the other hand, especially in school, before you get to the level you guys are at, which is PhD level, uh, people use a lot of filler. We also don't want that, that space between, I guess, correct information and putting in those nuances, but making it it, it accessible. Is there, has it shifted? I mean, since like Hannah, maybe what you're writing is different from when I was at uni too, because I'm not going to say how long it's been since I was at uni.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say that definitely coming to the PhD project, I am really leaning into my identity as a young woman and bringing that to the table through my writing, but also just in like the overall experience. I've had a very different pathway to ending up in a PhD program. I started out just doing an undergrad degree with an honours component. And my honours research was looking at people's perceptions of risk and safety when using location-based dating app um, because I saw that as an area of research that was quite new. There wasn't a lot happening in that space mm-hmm. and something that was really relevant to me, my age group and my demographic that I thought I could provide a voice to the, I guess, the of people like myself, but I did get to the end of that project, and I realized that there was a lot more still to be said. <laughs> and yeah. that is what has inspired me to sort of transition that into this PhD program. But I think it's really interesting when you talk about like the space between academic writing and writing for like the general public in a way that is digestible, because I think while something that I have come to learn throughout my university career is that simple is always better, yeah. and I've I, I guess that's in a similar vein to that discussion of about if you can say it in hundred in eight words you shouldn't need to say it in a hundred and I definitely fell victim to thinking that in order to get the best marks possible I had to sound smart but really it was the actual content that I was putting mm-hmm. forward and like the crux of the arguments that I was making that was what was being evaluated. So I yeah. think, After I've come to learn that, my writing has definitely become a lot more simplistic. And I think that's good because it makes it digestible to any number of audiences. And I think in line with that, it's also important to think that academic writing is very different. But a lot of the time, a lot of people's goal, which I'm sort of tossing up the idea with at the moment, is to produce a book at the end of your PhD. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, So I think it's important as you go through to understand that, yes, you are writing for your PhD panel who are going to be evaluating your thesis and deciding whether or not they're going to grant you doctoral status or not. But also for the wider public who you are hoping to engage with your research, especially because with my topic of interest, it's something that I want to put the results back into the hands of dating app users so that they can use what I have found in their everyday lives. So I think that's a really important
0: point. I think it's funny because, and I love all of the head nodding, again, the the downside <laughs> to podcasts <laughs> or upside, depending on whether you've been able to wash your hair, but you're nodding your your head a lot, Kath. And I think mm. this is what we're having this discussion for actually, because I'm getting all of these ahas. The issues that you're dealing with are the issues that anybody writing anything could be dealing with. And I will raise my hand and say, I am a proponent of keeping it simple based on your target market, right? Mm -hmm. Using that marketing, not dumbing it down. But when you were talking, Hannah, and I've got a kind of a follow-up question, It, it occurred to me, and I've got sons who are teenagers who have shared some of their work, even for high school. And I recall those things of going, oh God, I have to write this many pages and filler words and things like that. Keeping it simple, but I recognize that The fear internally as a writer is often, I don't know enough. That's why we're using the filler words, because we think we don't know enough. The challenge is to recognize that simplicity means you actually have greater capacity for depth and don't scare yourself that you don't have that ability to go there. That's what you're going to fill the pages with. Simple phrasing, not overly simple, right? Relevant. To whatever your topic is but also what's the point of doing all the writing <laughs> if it's not going to translate look i i guess i'm a bit pragmatic as well and this was my follow-up question maybe each of you can answer because you're coming from different places are those panels that you know of or maybe talking to peers and other things like that are they open to this sort of new way right english even as a language the way that we use grammar has changed over the years, are they open to this, I'm going to make it more accessible?
1: My, my panel definitely is. You know, it's something that we talk about regularly, catch-ups with my supervisor and, and others who are my, you know, my colleagues and peers, is that when you complete this project, you want it to do something right. I mean, mm. the, it's a contribution and you need that contribution to matter in people's everyday lives. And I think that for me, how do you make something real to someone? you know, when we talk about, you know, ontological safety from men's rights activists, right, what does that mean to someone? But if we say, you know, Andrew Tate's released this misinformation on TikTok and it's really impacting people, vulnerable people who are open to these ideas because they're looking for answers, Does that, that means more to me than yeah. the kind of the formal language. Yeah. And I think then it makes it a more relevant and topical discussion and I think I, I know my supervisor and supervisory panel are really interested in that because that's how you're gonna have impact. Mm. Research should be about impact as well. Yes
0: I hope. Yeah how about you and <laughs> right. have you have you found that as well that there's yeah. like, that's a good thing. No longer is it academia is up here and the plebs who read the books. <laughs> down here.
2: Exactly. I would say that I am definitely experiencing similar things, Kath. And I would say that there, I suppose that's not to say that there aren't times throughout your PhD writing where you do need to be using a little bit more complex sentence structure or ideas. But a lot of that is because you are actually having to, I suppose, summarize the theories of others that you were going to be applying right. to your own work. And that's the kind of stuff that you can't really move on, which I think is broadly recognized. And my panel definitely is recognizing that, but then they love, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback, <laughs> luckily yeah. enough, about the way that I do simpli- simplify those ideas as I go through and start writing for the everyday individual. And I'm experiencing that my panel, but I would also say that my university at large has a really increased emphasis these days on outreach and engagement. And there's, I suppose, a lot of, in the past, a lot of the time, people would go out and they would spend three to four years, if not longer, writing an incredible PhD thesis only for it to sit on a shelf somewhere and collect dust. Mm, And I suppose that's the reality for a lot of people who have had academic careers. And there is a real emphasis from the administration at the moment to kind of think about what ways we can, like what strategies we can implement to make the research outcomes more accessible. And I suppose one of the ways that I'm hoping to do that with at the end of my candidature is by holding a like a workshop with stakeholders Mm. who work in this area to share my research and there will be like written elements of that but also just engagement and discussion about the findings and how they might be applicable in people's workplaces and Mm. things like that so I think yes simplicity but also on top of that being able to adapt your writing
0: and what you're delivering for different audiences at different times is a really important Mm.
2: skill as well
0: Well, I was going to say, being able to balance that, you are going for a particular goal, (laughs) you want to get that, you want to get that gold star, and that makes sense. But it's nice to see that it's not just you saying, I'm already thinking ahead about how I can make this accessible and usable for people in the community. I I can't say one over the other, both of your topics are incredibly important. I mean, from a safety look, I watch and listen to true crime stuff. So Hannah, Yes, please. Please share this stuff. It's frightening. Not that we necessarily have control, but to be honest, even your topic, Kath, is not unrelated because a lot of the crimes and when we're talking about dating apps and things like that are actually perpetrated by men. And then it's this sort of lower level. There's all sorts of stuff that I'm glad I don't peek too much at that side of the internet. But these are both topics that are really, really important to get out to a wider audience rather than say, if I were going to relate it to general novel writing, oftentimes I think that academic writing would be up there with, what can I say? It's not the upmarket, but it's like the literary fiction, you know, the stuff. And and I am going to be a little bit gender biased here. A lot of men in the days of old, like I've written this amazing stuff. And and I've read the words and I'm like, well, you just say it. And it's sort of almost like a, not verbal, but a, a written pissing match to see what magical things they can do with the words. And it has its place, but that's not what I'm going for. I'm going for a way to be moved and or transformed. And that's generally where people look down at more commercial fiction or what we might call upmarket which is like a combination of the two. Academic writing used to be more like, it's all like, I'm very intelligent and I'm proven that I'm incredibly intelligent. It isn't just about getting those references because you're absolutely right, Hennet. Like you can't not put it in how they put it, right? You're making references, you can't change their words. However, bringing it to a place where more people can be moved, their their mindset opened potentially, and. For both of you, I mean, culturally, societally, hopefully, at least you talk about discourse, at least opening up a bit more of the conversation than just having it one way or the other. When you were first talking, Kath, I was like, hold on, what does she mean? <laughs> because I don't see a problem with men's rights or safety. But of course, you have to know where they're coming from, I like where the Andrew Tates are coming from. Mm. But I'm glad that you're you're doing the listening and I don't have to do all the listening to that.
1: But I think it's when we think about women's safety in general, right? Which is a core theme for for both Hannah's and my work. There is room for every single person at the table yeah. to join the discourse. And once more, we need them. We need everyone at the table if we want to make change because Having a safer society makes a better society for everyone and that's, you know, a motivation for me as well is this idea that if we move past this polarizing world we exist in of simple binaries of good or bad and if someone thinks differently to you, they're instantly in one bucket and the people who align with you are in another bucket and never the two shall meet. I want to move past that and move to a place of understanding, which I think is critically important to make change.
0: Well, I have a question too. So how do you take things that are obviously emotive, even though they're intellectual endeavors as well, right? They are, each of your topics is, but how do you take something that's emotive and how do you bring that to your actual writing process? And maybe just asking you, because every single writer is different, what does sitting down and writing pieces or so do you have sort of like this many weeks, I'm going to turn this in, what does that look like and how does that affect your process as a writer? Are you an everyday writer? Are you a binge writer? What does that look like?
2: I might take that one to start, yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Because <laughs> I am totally a binge writer and I have not heard that term before and now I feel like I've met a kindred spirit knowing that binge writing is common and I often feel like I used to put a lot of pressure on myself to be delivering a certain amount of words each day. And I often found that that I got quite burnt out having that mm. mentality. And oftentimes I wasn't actually delivering the quality work that I needed to be doing at that time. So after, I suppose, changing my mindset, I've definitely become a binge writer. And I think that might sometimes be to my detriment. My mother has fielded many a stressed phone call or FaceTime of me feeling overwhelmed about the writing process. And she's had to talk me off a ledge many times. So I'm very lucky to have someone with her
0: expertise in my life to fill that role. <laughs> I'm sure it's reciprocal. I mean, as you get older, <laughs> and I'm sure she'll be calling you saying, what, what did I tell you last time, Hannah? <laughs> oh, yeah, help. it's been fantastic having her. And we
2: definitely are sort of moving towards a more reciprocal relationship with our writing, which I'm loving. But I think when it comes down to the PhD, it's a little bit challenging, because there's not a lot of sharp deadlines that you have to meet mm. until the very end of your candidature. So I think my supervisor, but supervisory panel has got to know me quite well and knows that I need superficial deadlines in place in order to get the work done. And that's worked really well for me. Something else that I think is really important, especially when dealing with, I suppose, challenging topic is really planning out your work. Mm. And that i would I, I realize we're on a podcast, but I would just love to show you guys my window at the moment because oh it's got God. my whole literature review structure wow, on there because I just need to work from a plan. And after I've learned that that's how my brain functions and that's mm-hmm. how I can get the most out of my writing, that's worked really well for me. But I think that that's really interesting because I was saying before that my mum and I, often talk about writing and like the different challenges that come with it, but we are very, very different writers. And in conversations I've had with her and even Mina Campbell as well about how sometimes a character will just appear on the page and they had no idea where it came from and it just starts doing something. I am the complete opposite in that I have to plan out every single thing that I'm gonna say in order. Or I just get like decision paralysis almost about what to do and how to attack things. I wonder if your experience is similar, (laughs) Kath. It is. I think I'm a mixture. I'm trying
1: to not just be a binge writer. I think that I am, but I also see validity for my own kind of mental framework of of trying to plan it out a little bit more and have more structure in terms of the process. Yes, I'm actually in the middle of that right now. So this has been a very inspiring conversation because I do have a paper that's due and I've kind of been staring a little bit at a blank page. I messaged Hannah this morning and I said, oh goodness, writing about writing, I'm still looking at a blank page. This has actually been really helpful in the sense that it's that is how my brain works as well, Hannah. I need the plan on the page, otherwise I'm frozen. And that's that, okay.
0: Maybe that answers too a little bit. So yeah. first I would say fiction writing, if you ever jump into it, maybe slightly different. And you're right. There's a difference between your mom and Nina Campbell as well. Although similarities. I think our main problem is when we compare ourselves to somebody else thinking that their way, if we see them as successful is the better way. It's not, it's figuring out your way. So you get the best from yourself, trying to mitigate those times where you feel ultra stressed, knowing you will not get rid of them altogether they're sort of inbuilt. And in fact, they can be part of that precursor like deadlines, even if they're superficial, if you are, and if you haven't taken before, I always recommend people take Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies quiz, find out which one you are, and then find out the best way that you operate naturally, and then stop trying to hold yourself up to somebody else's because you don't know theirs. Uh, Or even if you do, they're them, and you're you. But also what you're talking about, and this may answer that question for me, how do you take something that is, as far as I'm concerned, intellectual, but inherently emotive as the topics that you're both sort of looking at because you are women in the world, if you identify as women or even people, if they don't identify as the gender they were assigned at birth, we are in this mixture place and things get brought up when we're looking at any particular topic, when you're looking at something as deep as what you are looking at for a PhD candidacy, you kind of do need to write it out. And that to me is a beautiful balm for anything that's coming up. Like there's so much I could say. It's very emotive. How do I not separate yourself, but recognize the difference between the emotive part or the part you want to change the world? And how do I structure it if I just give myself something to start with? So you're right, Kat, looking at a blank page, it can be very intimidating. And I was just talking about this literally yesterday. So I run a, a membership and a course and I do a live round every now and again. So most of the people that are in there have gone through it before. And I don't get into this until week four, but week four's theme is just start writing. And it is just jump in. My advice there is put if you've got notes, great. But if you haven't, just start writing rubbish. Even if you just retype the title or the vague idea and get yourself to break through that damn or that paralysis because the expectation that any writer, whether they're writing fiction or non, has in coming to the page is giving themselves like throwing down the gauntlet like everything I write has to be good. Guess what? Academic writers also need editing, right? Mm -hmm. Every writer (laughs) needs editing. Marketing in marketing, copy needs everything needs editing. But it's funny Mm -hmm. when we shift from one thing to another, we can give a lot of grace to others. But we tend not to give it to ourselves. So just getting back to that place where we go, okay, it's okay. <laughs> I just need to get the engine started. To kind of burn through the rubbish first until I can make my way to the gold and plotting it. Even if we're talking about plotting nonfiction, plotting it to give you that feeling of safety or structure. If you've recognized mm-hmm. that that's how you do best, the beauty of it is. You may find yourself going off that path, but at least you've given yourself the safety to know it's like a a safety net below you. I may discover something, you know, I may put two pieces together that I hadn't before. And in fact, I would argue that's kind of what you're here to do. Right. That's why you're diving into these subjects to learn something new to put these new pieces together, that can only happen if you show up to the page, right? So as what you're saying for both of you is it's not like a a just listen to an interview where that was her advice and it's not wrong. It's just not right for everyone. Sit down at the, the page, sit down and write every day. It's a muscle, you don't want it to atrophy. And I buy that, but I also know that many writers that they try and in fact, the weight of that and their perceived failure is what's actually keeping them away from the pay rather than not having inspiration. They're inspired.
2: I would definitely agree. And I would say in addition to that, sometimes working in this space, being a PhD student in like the academic field can come with a lot of imposter syndrome, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure we're all familiar with in other (laughs) facets of life, but it definitely is something that I have had to learn to grapple with throughout my academic career as it's starting. And it's something that I'm getting better at. Mm. Um, And I often feel as though something that I've recently discovered is that whenever I get like a really positive feedback on something I've written, that will then be the inspiration and motivation I need to push push on and continue working and Mm. start writing again. But a lot of the time, if you're not getting that validation as you go and you just feel as though the world's spinning around you and it's all really fast paced and perhaps you don't have peers to lean on in a PhD program. So it can be quite difficult. And for that reason, I'm very lucky that my mom has put me in touch with Kath. We've definitely (laughs) bonded over this. (laughs) So yeah, sometimes it can be quite isolating and Mm. when you, and that definitely feeds into that imposter syndrome. So when you do write something and it is well-received and people give you incredible feedback, that does really help me as well. Regardless of whether there's any structure in place, sometimes on the days when I'm really feeling blocked, if I've got that feedback, I can just sit down and write and somehow it all works out. So Mm. you just do
0: have Mm. to be flexible, I would definitely say. I have a question. Do you save those pieces of feedback? Do you have a file? or? I don't, but that
2: might be good for me to start doing so I could look back on them whenever I'm feeling a bit down in the dark. Yeah,
0: I think only because... I'm always wary of setting up a structure for any of ourselves that we are only we're beholden so then then oh i don't have that coming in and you you can't be guaranteed i mean you could try to just go oh i really need a boost let me just go share some work real quick so somebody <laughs> can give me some good feedback which is perfectly fine too but putting in little tiny habits because also this just happened with a, a writer recently got three judges feedback in a contest two of them we're good. And one of them was I mean, beyond the pale, really not but like, it, so it was not personal. It was not that person's writing because I've read it, uh, the writing that is. And so, but but the one she was focused on was that one. And I said, isn't that interesting? You led with these two had nice feedback, probably still constructive, right? but it was accessible. And then this third one, that was the one she was focused on. So the way that our brains work, setting yourself up, these little things, so you don't have to think about it at the end of the year. I'm horrendous at this, by the way. Just raising my hand. <laughs> if somebody says, what, you know what successes did you have this year?" I was like, mm, did I do anything this year? I'm not really sure. I'm pretty sure I didn't do it because as soon as I do it, I'm on to the next thing. And I think that adds into that imposter syndrome. You were talking about too, Anna. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for anybody listening, write down those little compliments, keep them somewhere that you can access them easily and again when you need that boost. What about you, Kath? How are you finding that? I
1: think that I'm on a real journey at the moment just to work out who I am as an academic. You know, it's a new hat for me. I've been in so many different roles that this is something new and I'm finding my way and working out my path. And You mentioned in, um, before, you know, this is highly emotive topic. And I want to be really clear too, I, I don't believe that when you're researching human behavior, you should be coming to it saying, I've got a neutral framework about this. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's right. And I don't, I don't think should the researchers separate themselves and their moral compass and their motivation to make them want to discover more. But it's a, it, it's a fine line of, of trying to be an advocate for your ideas to other people and just kind of listening mm-hmm. and understanding and not desiring to change. And that for me is the fine line that I'm walking at the moment.
0: Mm. It's a mm. little bit like that confirmation bias too. So yeah. taking having, having that integrity of saying, yeah. I'm not just going to go for all of the things that already support what I Believe yep. and like you've been saying, I'm really clear with, and I'm really impressed because again, I have not reached that level. Uh, but saying not that I don't buy everyone ha- having a seat at the table, but actually being able to calm and again, this is for me very emotive, being able to keep down those emotions to truly hear. And this has been a struggle for me since uni, which is why <laughs> I didn't. I was getting into. Those sorts of uh, conversations back mm. as an undergrad and, and I stopped because I, you know, so I, I'm really impressed too. I think both of you are impressive in the flexibility you've you've shown, you know, imposter syndrome is also tied to what we think or who we think we are within our peer group and including our family and our friends and things like that. So being willing to be brave and continue to walk forward, even though we think, who am I to be here? Because Mm -hmm. I'm passionate about this and letting that idea. So here's what's related also to fiction writing, but is totally relevant to nonfiction. Having an ultimate single story message. Mm -hmm. So I often call that the GPS coordinate, that thing you want somebody, whether they agree with you or not, that when they finish your book or your thesis, Mm -hmm. they think, know, feel this. And as long as you continue to have your eye on that and are willing to be brave enough to move forward, even though you think, oh, but I read such and such by this person and they're already going there and not spinning yourself out too much, and just continuing on your path. Mm. And I mean, Kathy, you'd already mentioned too, changes throughout your life, mm. right? And being led. And, and again, that's bravery. That's what we need with all writing. So I'm really heartened to hear that that courageousness, even if we don't own it when we're writing it and we're like, I'm not doing, I'm not courageous. I'm just doing it. It is courageous. That's the main uh, skill. Being willing to keep showing up. That's the courage. To say the thing you want to say or share the thing you want to share. And you guys have the benefit of doing this research Mm -hmm. to hopefully unlock some of these things where Kath, and I would say it would even happen in your research as well, Hannah, because I think we're still, even though it's fairly new with online sites and when we talk about GPS coordinates and how easily we've all slipped into this place where. All sorts of things are known about us (laughs) that we don't know. And we just go, la, 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 never mind. But sort of, I think opening up these places that are a little bit in shadow or dark because they're not always comfortable. And then finding a way to share it with as many people as possible on both sides those who do buy into what your initial thesis is and those who are like, nah, Mm. that's a real skill to be able to write in a way. That is opening the door to people who buy in as well as people who don't necessarily do you think it's yeah. Do you think that's possible. And that's just an interesting question that because of what you're exploring to Kath. because we've got this divisiveness and this very black and white thing and we can't fully separate ourselves anybody who says they're fully neutral. I don't
1: buy it. <laughs> and and you shouldn't be when you're talking about the things that we're talking about and, yeah. and that we're looking at. You, you know, it, it would be impossible. And I also I think you would only be really looking surface level at things then. Right. And not really either challenging yourself and your beliefs or challenging yourself to understand other people's beliefs without a moral judgment or, on that person. Mm. I think... Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I mean, you know, Hannah, you're looking at some really tough stuff too. I mean, do you feel the same way?
2: I think that something that I have come to know and learn through my research journey is that there's definitely no such thing as objectivity in social research. And that's something that's highly debated throughout academia and research that investigates human behaviour in general. Some people believe that it is possible to be obje- objective, but as we were saying before, like, I don't think that you can remove who you are from your research process and what you're investigating and what motivates you to investigate certain things and the way you go about it, the frameworks you use, the people you talk to, the voices that you elevate through mm. your writing, right? Yeah. So I think on that, it's quite important to recognize what you bring to the, I suppose, in this case, the academic writing process, because Mm -hmm. I think who you are is very important in underlying Mm -hmm. everything that you're doing and when it comes to criticism yes that can be quite challenging because you almost want to separate who you are from your work and your writing because it's just a coping mechanism it's easier Mm -hmm. to deal with it that way but I think at the end of the day both Kath and I wouldn't be here in this position doing PhDs that are in this gender-based violence area if that wasn't something that we were so passionate about and we had been on a trajectory throughout our lives to end up here. And right. we should do justice to that, I think.
1: Yeah, wow. and honour that. Honour those experiences. Honour honour what's led us to this point. I think, you know, when you're thinking about spheres of influence, right, marketer, <laughs> <Talk>. <laughs> you know, you're always, I think one of the things that I've learned in my career, which hasn't been an academic career, is that you are always going to have spheres of influence positively and spheres where you have no influence. Mm. And the reality is if you have no influence in that particular sphere, it's, it's nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of that whilst these are your ideas that people are saying, no, it's not going to work. No, it's rubbish. I disagree.
0: Well, there is a, we and, talk th- and about And that, that's, that's a, okay. <laughs> there's a market for it, right? They're yeah. not the person It's sort of like dating as well. There are certain people they are just not for me and I'm going to guess I'm not for them but either way, that's not a fit and that's totally okay. They're for someone, right? So it's what you're both talking about too. I think this is what I admire is that you're stretching a little bit beyond what we normally do, which is I'm going to try to look to those places where I know, and this has a a question in it from me, but I know where I've come from, or I've explored it a little as I'm looking up all this research. And I'm like, why do I have that reaction? Why do I have this reaction? And you come with that particular schema, and you're still trying to share further beyond what you take for granted. And again, this goes back to that confirmation bias, and trying not to always just stop there at that surface level to to your point, Kath. In academic writing, I didn't have to do that as my capstone project in psychology. So my background, by the way, is I have a degree in psychology, but with major emphasis in women's studies, anthropology, and sociology. So of Mm -hmm. course, this conversation is my jam. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Do they have you? Do you ever outline anything in the writing that you're doing academically? Is there any, even in a sentence or a few sentences, do they... require to find out or is it just supposed to be sort of the subtle shade underneath that they'll understand where you come from? How do you introduce the I recognize these are some of my biases and I'm where does how does that go in academic writing?
2: I would say that broadly, the world itself, human interaction, it's very complex and you can come at things with different frameworks and from different angles and perspectives. And I think that the most important thing that we can do as researchers is just to make sure up front that whoever is reading our work is aware of the scope of that work mm-hmm. and in saying that that we might be generalizing to a specific subgroup of the population who might happen to experience this phenomena more often than others and I suppose doing that is really important for a number of reasons first of all to kind of be upfront about that sort of stuff and the way that you're coming at this issue and acknowledging that there are many other ways that you could approach it. And then you often will have to, in your writing, justify your reasoning for why you're approaching Mm -hmm. it in this specific way. But also in addition to that, something that I'm finding is that I, throughout my research, do really want to elevate the voices of some more vulnerable vulnerable populations Mm -hmm. like the LGBTIQ plus community who experience Mm -hmm. a lot of victimization in this space and perhaps haven't had that opportunity to share their experiences and be understood in that way so I think it's important yes on a broad level to just say this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm not doing but also I think it's really important for the communities that you're engaging with and researching because the opportunity to have their voices heard and shared is something that doesn't happen so often so when it does
0: um I think that that's really important and beautiful. Mm. How do you, how do you approach that sort of stuff, Kath, with yours?
1: When I look at my PhD application, it kind of makes me have a bit of a giggle mm-hmm. because I wanted to change the world. I wanted I was gonna change mm-hmm. every single cultural cross cultural issue that existed, <laughs> and what I've what I've taken from my my time and, and and I have an amazingly generous supervisor who is one of Australia's best sociologists and he said it's about getting to the nut of your idea yeah. what is the nut you know what is that granule of of what you're actually trying to understand and you need to keep refining, refining Mm. refining refining because in a hundred thousand words i'm probably not going to fix the entire world (laughs) but what i might be able to do is offer a new window of understanding to people and that's and 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 accepting that and going that is enough and Mm. that's okay and that's what i want to do and you know there'll be a pipeline of work you know hannah's had a pipeline of work from her honors that's the goal Right, because I'm. This is not going to be the end of my journey. I'm not coming yes. to this amazing realization where I'll present this paper and people will say to me, "Wow, thank goodness you're here." <laughs> well, <laughs> what I'm yes, gonna, hopefully what I'm,
0: they will. Hopefully they will. But you're. But,
1: but, no, but no. But what I mean is, you want that. Of course yes. you want that when it's something you care so deeply about and so passionately about. Of course you want that. But it's 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 how you then recognize what each. Success looks like, and yeah. being really realistic in reframing what success looks like, and I think that uh, some of my other colleagues who are in PhD programs have had the same thing. You know, they they mapped out new whole economic systems, probably not going to happen in this paper. <laughs>
0: I love that. Well, because what you've said and then what your supervisor said reaffirms what I've shared, especially with nonfiction authors. Mm -hmm. So especially entrepreneurs who work within the health and wellness space Mm -hmm. often have that same goal. Like I want to fix it all and everything is intertwined and I can't just say do this, but that's why we say, what's the one thing? And I have this analogy. If you're trying to save someone, they're drowning. If you throw all of the potential savings they will probably drown for not knowing which one to choose. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas if you give them the one that they can go for, and then they can give all their energy to that, you have more of a chance of changing someone. Even if it's a small shift, a small shift can be monumental because what we're talking about is a ripple effect. Eventually, the goal will be to get to all of those other things that you were outlining in in your application. Yeah. I think you've got to have the passion for it. But it's true for anything that you're writing, recognize that it's okay. And you will have a chance. I'm always optimistic. You will have a chance to get to that other thing or those other things. Start with this one. What's the one that feels most important? And then you'll get to do the other ones, right? It will come.
1: It will come. You don't have to, you know, this is another, my, one of my best friends is actually on my panel and she's just a remarkable human being. And she said to me, you just need to think of this as your apprenticeship. You're Mm -hmm. learning, you're learning and you're refining your ideas you're learning a new way of systems thinking it's you know and you will continue it's not going to finish here this is this is why it's why I I say I'm on this journey about learning who I am as an academic it's going to be continuing for years right right. and that yeah that's a good thing I love it
0: thank you both so much for coming on and having a chat like I prefaced before we even got started I knew this would happen because it does I could sit and chat <laughs> and <dive laughs> in further. And hopefully we can a little bit more. certainly reach out, but I'm so appreciative of your time and, and sort of opening the door on academic writing. There are some things I was not expecting that have obviously shifted, which is actually a beautiful thing, but also maybe making it accessible to those who write other things and think, oh, I could never do that. Well, if you have the passion and you get that nut, <laughs> you have that nut of that thing you want to change. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's worth it. Go for it. Definitely. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you both so much for coming today. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more Writers in Conversation as we delve into the writers' process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers